0: I'm Toby Logsden and this is your weekly Fix of Wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Lesson 1, in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 13, Solomon writes, Righteous lips are the delight of kings, and he who speaks right is loved. First of all, let's remember that we're in the middle of a subsection in the text pertaining to kings and national leaders. In the previous verse, Solomon told us that the king's throne is established on what? On righteousness. And he follows that up here by telling us that righteous lips are the delight of kings. These two verses are closely related, and it makes sense that if a throne is established on righteousness, that a king would delight in the words which flow from righteous lips. If a national leader believes the previous verse to be true, they would be wise to surround themselves with as many godly, righteous people as they possibly can. Solomon knows that if righteousness flows from a person's lips, which in turn establishes the position or the throne of a national leader, then the person whose lips speak righteous words will be loved. There's little question that national leaders often find themselves surrounded by people who are looking to whisper a word of information Influence in the leader's ear for the sake of what? Of being selfish or self-serving. Once a leader realizes that they have somebody who will speak words of truth and righteousness to them for selfless reasons, how could they not love them? After all, it's in the best interest of the national leader to listen to such a person. In the next verse, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 14, Solomon writes, The fury of a king is like messengers of death, but a wise man will appease it. This verse and the verse which follows will take a look at the national leader's power over things like life and death. Solomon starts by looking at their power over death. We just took a look at how national leaders would naturally love the words which flow from righteous lips, or that they should, and we noted that it's in the best interest of the leader to embrace the selfless words of the righteous. There's little doubt, however, that there are plenty of national leaders out there who have absolutely no interest at all in hearing words of righteousness. It would be contrary to their unregenerate nature to lend an ear to such a thing. With such a national leader, it's likely that hearing words of righteousness would spark A fury within them. While we don't see national leaders in Western civilization putting people to death for offending them or for speaking words that offend them, this was common practice in Solomon's age, and it still happens in parts of the world today. There's undoubtedly a great amount of value, however, in having the wisdom to speak in such a way that doesn't offend. That's exactly the type of wisdom which characterized godly people like Joseph, Daniel, and Abigail. They were able to go before a with a horrible truth and yet speak it in such a way that the king wouldn't be offended with them personally. Paul instructed believers to speak the truth in love. That's from Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15. And that's because it's possible to say the right thing in the wrong way. Wisdom makes all the difference. In the next verse, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 15, Solomon writes, In the light of a king's face is life, and his favor is like a cloud with the spring rain. While Solomon just told us that the fury of a king is like messengers of death in the previous verse, here he talks about the power that a king has over life. If harsh truth is spoken wisely, it won't result in the anger of a national leader, and the messenger's life won't be in danger. That's essentially what Solomon is telling us here, but in a very poetic way. To have the favor of a national leader is obviously incredibly valuable, and the Hebrew word, which gets translated as cloud in this proverb, refers actually to a heavy cloud or a big rain cloud. We should understand that in Solomon's culture... A heavy rain cloud in the spring was a huge blessing with a value that was beyond measure. It was a cloud which brought rain down upon the crops right before the first spring harvest, thus ensuring that the people would have food and nourishment. Look at the life of Daniel, who was basically promoted from being a slave to a position of honor, wealth, and power as a result of the wisdom that he was able to share with Nebuchadnezzar. He earned the king's favor with his wisdom, And with his insight, and it ensured not only his own safety and security, but also the safety and security of his friends. We shouldn't miss the fact that it was wise of Daniel's friends to be friends with someone who had Daniel's wisdom. That friendship ended up blessing them in ways that they probably would not have foreseen. In the next verse, Proverbs 16, verse 16, Solomon writes, How much better it is to get wisdom than gold, and to get understanding is to be chosen above silver. While the previous verse marked the end of this subsection of Proverbs pertaining to national leaders, this verse is actually closely related to that section as well. After all, what do kings build their thrones on? Gold. The image of silver and gold reflects the wealth and power of national leaders. But here, Solomon tells us that it's better to have wisdom and understanding than it is to have either gold or silver. Neither gold nor silver would have saved the life of a person who offended a national leader. And, at the very least, those things, silver and gold, would have likely ended up in somebody else's possession. Wisdom and understanding, on the other hand, are things that nobody can take away from you. So with that in mind, you might want to paraphrase this proverb as saying, it's better to be righteous and wise than powerful and foolish. This concludes Lesson 1. Lesson 2, in Proverbs 16, verse 17, Solomon writes, The highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He who watches his way preserves his life. One of the things that we might want to be mindful of at this point is that Solomon is gradually moving away from using contrasts in most of the verses. There's no definitive point where the section of contrasts ends, but he's no longer teaching words of wisdom primarily or exclusively through contrasts at this point. The road to righteousness and uprightness has been a unifying theme throughout the book of Proverbs. Starting back in uh, chapter 2, verses 11 to 13, Solomon told us, Discretion will guard you, understanding will watch over you, to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, and from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. And then in chapter 4, verse 11, he told us, I have directed you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in upright paths. A few verses later, he wrote, do not enter the path of the wicked and do not proceed in the way of evil men. See, Solomon's reminding us here in this verse that the righteous don't walk on the same path as the wicked. In fact, they go in opposite directions. Where does the path of the righteous turn? Well, it turns at the point where it encounters evil, according to Solomon. Wherever you might be tempted to engage in unrighteous behavior, in sinful behavior, Solomon tells us that the road of the righteous departs. That might be in your workplace, it might be at school, that might be sitting in front of your computer, or sitting in front of your television. That might be a certain street in your town which is characterized by evil behavior. Wherever you, specifically you, Face temptation, the road of righteousness takes a turn and departs right there. That's something that will vary from one person to another, but we should note that we all have the personal responsibility to recognize what our weaknesses are, to realize where we're most likely to be tempted to stray from the road of righteousness, and to avoid those areas. In the next verse, Proverbs 16, verse 18, Solomon writes, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before stumbling. We might rightly refer to pride as the mother of all sins. Pride is such an awful thing because the implication is of someone who thinks more highly of themselves than they should. The fact of the matter is that we can't glorify God when we're focused on glorifying ourselves. It's been said that the greatest obstacle between the follower of Christ and the all-powerfulness of God is the idea in the mind of the Christ follower that they're strong enough to get by on their own strength, friends, we will never be capable of exhibiting righteousness in our lives if we're doing it on our own. never, the moment we become prideful, we're headed in the wrong direction. You see the road of righteousness is a one-way road. Have you ever seen someone driving the wrong way on a one-way road? Well, I have, and I don't know that there's a situation which is ever more likely to cause an accident. Likewise, in our lives, if we're being prideful, we're going the wrong way on a one way road. And Solomon tells us that it brings destruction. And stumbling. The people who are too preoccupied with pride are the same people who have the least to be prideful about. That's the way God's kingdom works. The least is the greatest, the greatest is the least. And you know, God can do incredible things with a person who has a humble heart. And if we're not humble enough, don't think for a second that God won't take some extreme measures to make us humble if he wants to use us. And friends, believe me when I tell you that as followers of Jesus, God wants to use every last one of us. This verse is actually closely connected with the next verse where Solomon writes in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 19, it is better to be humble in spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. When Solomon wants to really drive a point home, he seems to have a pattern of starting a proverb off with, it's better to be. And then filling in the blank from there. While well, we saw in the previous verse that pride is a precursor to destruction and that a haughty spirit is a precursor to stumbling, Solomon doesn't leave us hanging. He shows us the better way. He says it's better to be humble in spirit with the lowly. This is the opposite of being the proud in spirit and powerful, which could be a subtle reference back to the section on national leaders. He says it's better to be with this group of lowly people who are characterized by their humble spirit than it is to divide the spoil with the proud. We can almost picture two groups of people here. One where things are divided and shared with gladness, and one group where you almost have to fight to get your fair share of things. Which would you rather belong to? Taking a look back at the early church, as we see in the book of Acts, we find a group of people who followed Jesus who were selling all their possessions and putting them toward the purpose of meeting the needs of their community, of the faithful. Luke tells us in Acts chapter 4 verse 34 that there was not a needy person among them. Nobody was looking after their own best interests, and the result was that the number of followers was growing exponentially. Paul told the Philippians, with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. That's from Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. And that's what characterized the early church as it went through this period of incredible growth. And that's still what characterizes those who are humble in spirit. The emptiest place to find yourself is a place where you're full of yourself. This concludes lesson two. Lesson 3. In Proverbs 16, verse 20, Solomon writes, He who gives attention to the word will find good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. Solomon has shown us that pride isn't conducive to receiving God's blessings. Having taken a couple verses here to remind us of all the dangers and downfalls of a prideful heart, Solomon uses this verse, to focus on right living instead of wrong living. This section of Proverbs focuses on speaking and listening and doing these things in a wise and understanding way. There are few people out there who don't want to be blessed by God. Even those who worship false gods want to experience God's blessings. Only the person who denies God's existence entirely would refuse to acknowledge their longing for God's blessings in their life, although I would argue that they do long for those things, they just fail to admit it. The language that this verse was written in is actually somewhat confusing. If you compare translations, you'll see what I'm talking about. You'll see that various translators have arrived at very different understandings of this verse, although those interpretations aren't necessarily contradictory or anything. The Hebrew word that gets translated as word here can also mean saying. And so thus, it's possible that Solomon is telling us that the person who pays attention to a particular saying will find good. Well, what saying is that? It could very well be what he writes next blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. Trusting in God is something that indicates an action on our part. It's the choice to choose God's ways over our own ways. Even though we maybe don't understand necessarily how or why they're better at the moment, we're often so eager for blessing that we put forth all kinds of efforts to gain those blessings when all that Solomon tells us to do is trust in the Lord. Is it really that simple? Well, Trusting in the Lord won't be so simple for the prideful, and that's because pride is to our character like an attic is to a house, the highest part and usually the emptiest. In the next verse, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 20, Solomon writes, The wise in heart will be called understanding, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. This verse is going to be the first in a short string of verses which pertain to wisdom and the effect that it has on a person's speech. As we've seen so many times in our study of the book of Proverbs, Solomon reminds us of the connection between the heart and the mouth of a person. Have you ever noticed that when people want to uh, to talk you into doing something, they'll sometimes butter you up, so to speak? Solomon tells us why they do that. It's because we're more easily persuaded by sweetness of speech. Parents, this is something that we can all use to our advantage with our kids. There's a huge difference between saying, hey, quit hanging around with those idiots down the street, and saying, I love you, and because I love you, I want what's best for you. Those kids down the street really concern me because I see them doing things that are dangerous and it would really break my heart to see you doing those things. You see the difference? And that doesn't just apply to parent-child relationships either, by the way. It applies to any relationship that you can think of. Sweet speech is more persuasive. The principle that Solomon wants us to walk away with here is that if we're wise in heart, that will be reflected In our speech, if we take the time to think about how to say something, we'll be more effective in influencing and persuading people. And given the place that Solomon has put this in the text, we can be sure that he's talking about persuading others for the sake of righteousness. In the next verses, Proverbs chapter sixteen verses twenty two and twenty three, Solomon writes, Understanding is a fountain of life to one who has it, but the discipline of fools is folly. The heart of the wise instructs his mouth and adds persuasiveness to his lips. These verses are closely tied to the previous verse, verse twenty one, by several words that get repeated here. Understanding wise and persuasiveness. And this is actually the last time that we're going to see the phrase fountain of life in the book of Proverbs. And it's presented in the middle of a contrast between the person who has understanding and the person who has folly. Whether you have understanding or folly will also determine whether you have life or punishment. The person who's taken the time to think things through will have understanding, and that, Solomon tells us, is a fountain of life. It's something which will not only prolong a person's life, generally speaking, but it will enrich and enhance it as well. The Hebrew word that gets translated as discipline here refers to correction or chastisement. It's punishment. It's not something that we would normally desire, and yet there are people who desire it because they don't know any better. Folly or foolishness is their reward. Solomon's trying to teach us that the wise person will weigh the facts, consider the evidence, consider the situation, and they'll think of the best way to verbalize things before anything is said. One of the quickest ways to hurt someone is to simply blurt out the first thing that comes to mind. Even if we have the right answer, if we present it in the wrong way, we're not going to persuade people for the sake of righteousness. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that love is patient and kind and that if we don't present the truth in love, we're no better than a clanging symbol in the ear of another person. The wise person has more sense than that and won't waste their breath on words that will potentially have a negative effect on people, especially when it pertains to righteousness. This concludes Lesson 3. Lesson 4. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 24, Solomon writes, Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. With this verse, we conclude this little subsection on wisdom and speech, which are two qualities that Solomon has focused on for a few verses here. We can see that while the section which was characterized by Solomon using contrasts seemed somewhat random a lot of the time, Solomon is definitely starting to come back to themes. Looking back through this chapter, we see that he started with a section on the Lord, then he moved to a section pertaining to earthly kings or national leaders, and then he moved into a section on speaking with wisdom. We should remember that the goal of our speech should always be to influence or persuade others for the sake of righteousness. That's not an easy job and it certainly requires wisdom on our part. Solomon's final words for us in this section remind us of the effect of speaking with love as our motivating factor. He likens such words to honeycomb in that they're sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. The point of this poetic language, this figure of speech, is to tell us that when we use wisdom in speaking to others, showing gentleness, humility, and respect, it's uplifting to them, and there's a better chance of us persuading them. Since I started training for long-distance running, I've learned that both psychologically and physiologically, drinking water is much less invigorating than drinking juice. According to some recent studies, the very taste of juice stimulates endorphins in the brain, whereas drinking water doesn't. Even if a runner doesn't actually drink the juice, maybe they spit it out, the taste of the juice alone will strengthen the runner's endurance. That's kind of like what Solomon is telling us here. Pleasant words cause people to feel stronger because they're refreshing. So keep your words pleasant and your path peaceful. You'll catch more bees with honey than you will with vinegar. In the next verse, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25, Solomon writes, there is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Now, this is one of those verses that we probably want to make note of and remain mindful of, not just because it's true, but also because this is a repetition of chapter 14, verse 12. It's possible that Solomon put this repetition here as a reminder, as a way of wrapping up the section on speech and wisdom. After all, it might not always seem right to a person to word things in a pleasant manner. For example, if somebody's about to be hit by a truck, it's probably better to say move than it is to say, excuse me, sir, I don't mean to offend or startle you or anything, but I couldn't help but notice that there's a truck coming your direction and that if you stay where you are, I'm afraid you might get seriously injured. I'm being facetious, of course, but the fact is that we sometimes forget to speak the truth in love and gentleness. Just ask any doctor who's fresh out of medical school, but hasn't learned the art of bedside manner yet. The way that an unwise, unseasoned, and ungraceful person speaks the truth to someone can hurt. Given the fact that Solomon discussed the impact that words of wisdom can have on national leaders, the last thing we would want to do is cause them emotional hurt or distress. On the other hand, if we're willing to trust in the Lord, keeping ourselves teachable And humble, accepting his way rather than our own, he'll bless our path. In the next verse, Proverbs 16, verse 26, Solomon writes, A worker's appetite works for him, for his hunger urges him on. Now this is a proverb which seems to be more of an observation than anything else. And while it doesn't seem to tie in with any of the verses which surround it, it's possible that it's related to Solomon's reference to honeycomb back in verse 24. Maybe there's a contrast of sorts between the incredible sweetness of honeycomb and the incredible hunger of a worker. Like the workers motivated by hunger, people are motivated by pleasant words. Maybe that's what Solomon's trying to say here, but it's hard to say one way or the other. Maybe Solomon is simply reminding us that we need to avoid being lazy, but that we have to work in order to put food on the table. Or maybe Solomon's trying to say that just like a worker is motivated by hunger, we should be motivated by a hunger for wisdom and understanding. There's no doubt that all of these statements are true and that we should remain mindful of them. The question is, what are we hungry for? I'm Toby Logsdon, and this has been your weekly fix of wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus.